0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Undesigned to Grind. And gosh, you know, this is, um, I think are gonna be our fifth episode. And so far, every episode has been heavy stuff, right? Like Jen's personal horror story of, you know, stroke and brain stuff. Um, we talked to uh, a neurologist, we talked to a functional um, fitness coach, We're gonna be talking to more doctors and therapists, but today, I hope this might be like the funnest episode of all because if you are like me somewhere in your brain, you've probably gone down the, I think I just wanna quit my job and move to the woods. (laughs) Forget this, I'm done. Um, Or you you spend hours doom scrolling through real estate listings, looking for land or a farmhouse and just dreaming about it. Well, today I have a dear friend, um, an amazing woman here to share with you a story about, you know, she's actually doing it guys. Like Hannah lives in like an 1800 schoolhouse in the middle of Vermont in the countryside and, uh, Left her job and walked away from it all, and and she's going to tell us what that's actually like. So, Hannah, thank you so much for being here. Um, would you just tell everybody a little bit about like who you are and what you do?
1: All right, I will try. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> I'm so I'm so honored to to be here and be like the first non-intent um, doctor. <laughs> and care expert that you're having on (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so i'm hannah i i know jen from the design world and i had a pretty short career doing design um digital product design and um now i am back in my home state of vermont And doing a variety of things. I mean, the hats that I wear currently are many. And I would just say, like, to try to define what I'm doing without making it all about career is like, I'm trying to put my energy into the local community and land um, and also take care of myself.
0: And also, the many hats that you wear is not a metaphor, guys. Hannah makes actual many hats. (laughs) We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, And also, I don't know how brief your uh, journey was, but when I knew you, when you were working in design, like Hannah was no lightweight. Hannah was a user research expert at Frog Design and traveled all over the world, uh, um, working with Clients and helping them figure out what they actually need versus what they thought they need. She is just on it when it comes to user research um, and and helping uh, you know design companies and, and and their customers create user experiences that really speak to and help people. So don't downplay it, Hannah. You are a rock star.
1: Aw, thank you.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. So let's let's dive into that a little bit deeper. Um, tell us a little bit about your career and your mindset pre-moving to the country.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, so I decided to go to grad school. I guess that's kind of the beginning of the, the design career as you that you knew me in, was I decided to go to grad school in 2005, I think. So prior mm-hmm. to that. Prior to that, I had been doing some like graphic design work in ad agencies here in Vermont in but in northern Vermont, not where I live now and um, I just thought, well, I enjoy having this job that's creative, but I don't love making marketing material. so what can I do that's you know more meaningful that's using design And so I looked at graduate programs, and I decided to go to Art Center College of Design um, because they had a design research program, basically, and they just seemed like a more like I didn't have this word digital product design in my lexicon back then, but I just it felt like a thinking program, like I could go in there and be a smart person, not just a like, <laughs> just um you know, not just like a graphic designer, but I could I could apply myself to things that now I would be able to call service design and user re- and like research and user experience design. All of those words I learned through the course of grad school <laughs> and, and getting into the industry. So, yeah, that's where it started. And I think my mindset was really was just that was like, I I want to be creative. I want to have an impact. and um there was definitely like this ideology of techno utopianism at art center in my department, the media design department. And I kind of tried to go with that. I mean, I didn't know anything and I think that that energy kind of carried me a ways and it certainly taught me a a specific brand of bullshit (laughs) <laughs> and I learned learned to speak pretty well,
2: uh-huh. and
1: um, yeah. So I just so I don't know. So I did. I I finished art center. I got a job at Frog, and I was there for three or four years. Uh, and and I don't know. But most of it most of it was a pleasure. I mean, I really like. I don't have complaints, especially about San Francisco. Um like, I learned so much. And I learned so much about the industry. I mean, this was like, it was just all education for me. Mm -hmm. And it was working with other creative people, which is such a pleasure and nice people. And I really like, I didn't, I I liked living in cities and I lived, you know, I, I came from Vermont, I moved to LA for grad school. I love LA. Um, I like San Francisco. I moved to India, which is where you met me, (laughs) Chen. I moved to
2: Bangalore Mm -hmm.
1: to start up a design studio in Bangalore. And, um, yeah, I just like, all of that was really a pleasure. I think, I mean, I think I thrived to some degree in, in, in all of these roles and I was, you know, interaction designer, associate creative director, I was, doing a lot of project management when I was in India, because we didn't have any um, project managers there. And I think, you know, and and doing direct research um, with users or potential users. You know, I just think it was all really fascinating and I thrived and like the problem solving piece of my mind was really satisfied.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think... I think, like, when I was in India, I started getting into sort of more design for social causes type projects and started interacting more with, um, like, low-income people in India and around Asia eventually. And um, I think that's sort of where I started really feeling the – the discord of what the design industry is doing and how it's an arm of kind of the global capitalist <laughs> machine, and um, and I just started like I got disillusioned kind of quickly doing some of these these social design projects. Um, and then that just made me start thinking. And I think once I started thinking a bit about my role in consumer society and global society, and I just, I felt like, I, yeah, like another layer of scale kind of peeled back. And I was like, oh, like, even if I'm making things that are maybe working for these individual users, there's these systems that are really harmful, and I am complicit in them. And it was like, oh, this techno utopianism is (laughs) is not is not all of it. And yeah, like a lot. I just feel like some layers peeled back. And and that was sort of the start of me questioning a lot about what I was doing.
0: That's interesting. So like, even though you were loving, you know, using your brain and learning and exploring, um, you know, technology in different parts of the world and, and really enjoying that creative field and the people you were working with, like, once you could see further down the horizon, the outcomes of these things that we were designing and building at the time didn't align with your values. That's what really kind of made you think like, uh, I think this isn't, I think I need to think more about this.
1: Yeah, that was certainly one factor. And then, and then the, there was, there was the snowball effect of other factors. I moved back to the U.S. from India and the studio I moved into was, was a different one than I had left, like same company, different studio and much different culture and, um, yeah, I mean, I don't there's no way of putting it nicely. But it was like, I was hazed, basically. <laughs>
2: um, no.
1: And it was it was, yeah, it was not a pleasure to, to work with the people I- there anymore. And I started getting like, all the stress related symptoms that I mean, certainly not as drastic as what you experienced. But I think I felt to some degree, that I don't like, I was under so much stress. And I would say I was also depressed, probably, and having a really hard time adjusting to living in New York. Mm -hmm. But like, my body was shutting down, I was having all kinds of physical symptoms, all kinds of mental health symptoms. and. I just didn't even know how to help myself like I think I was I was already having these thoughts about like, not feeling great about myself being in this industry and in doing the types of projects. Oh, I'm sorry. My mm-hmm. phone
0: <laughs> Guys, Hannah has an actual phone on her wall, like connected to a f- telephone pole. It's crazy. <laughs> and I that's have, why like- she can't turn it off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a landline. <laughs>
0: that's what they're called landline leave a message
1: on my answering machine
0: (laughs) your technical utopia is so cool i love it
2: Uh,
0: i'm going to really be debating whether to delete this or keep it
2: my number your number
0: I can't remember the last time I heard an answering machine. This is
1: relevant. This is really sweet. This is my neighbor who is helping me bring a plumber to my house. This is actually relevant to my whole story and why I'm so happy to be where I'm at right now because I am so connected with people and I have a neighbor who's trying to help me wrangle this hard to get plumber to come here and fix my outdoor spigot so I can run a hose to my garden.
0: Oh, that's so nice. My neighbors would be like, who are you? No, no, we don't do that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay, so the, the message is over. Yeah, I mean, it was just much more, I realized that there was this culture in the studio there that it was, it just seemed so much more about personal achievement than actually doing good work. And I was really, I was really confused about, how to fit in and do well in that studio. And I think it just triggered a lot of like ways that I operate personally when I'm under stress. And and I was just trying, I was like, well, it's gotta be my problem. Like I, I, I thought something was wrong with me, I think, like subconsciously, mm-hmm. and I just kept trying to do something that would work there yeah and i couldn't do it and i was so like and it just like i realized in retrospect it wasn't my problem at all it was like it was a bad fit and i was being treated really badly
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: you know i have no idea why that's the case and i don't at this point need to figure it out but i was so miserable in that studio that and i i mentioned to a colleague who said well you can take a leave of absence you know and i mean that was i just needed to hear something like that and the next day i went into the hr office and said i need a leave of absence so that was kind of the beginning um but it wasn't it i mean i still did other work in the, in i still did design work after i took the leave of absence but um mm-hmm. i guess if we're going to it, I, I had already bought this house in Vermont, so I oh, skipped really? a, little, a little piece of the story in there.
0: <laughs> How did that but happen?
1: Pretty within a few months of moving back to the States from India, I, I didn't even really, I feel like I didn't even really make this decision. I don't know. Somehow it happened out of intuition. I decided mm-hmm. I was going to buy a house in Vermont. I was just like, I knew that's what I needed to do. And I... Wow. Looked at real estate and I found this schoolhouse and it was like the second place I even looked at and I made an offer and I bought it. Wow. I had this house and I was still working in New York um, and I was coming, I was coming up here when I could and in spending time. So there was this like this pull of like knowing I had this place. So when I took my leave of absence, I I came here Mm -hmm. and. uh, and just started like getting to, know my, getting to know my neighborhood. Cause this is, I grew up in Vermont, but I didn't grow up in this town.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Will you describe what you mean by town? <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's, I think people might have a different image in their head.
1: <laughs> yeah, Athens, Vermont has no downtown, it's all rural it's about 380 people. Um, I don't know. I couldn't tell you exactly how many square miles, but I mean, it's, it's a fairly, like, it's not a big, it's not a big land area as far as Vermont goes. It's, it's kind of small, but it's, it's, everything is pretty spread out. So it's 380 people, mostly living, like, not within sight of each other. hmm Does that, does that sound right, Jen?
0: Yeah, that sounds right. Um, I have had the pleasure of visiting Hannah a couple times at the schoolhouse, but every time I do, I forget like, oh, wait, when you drive there, you're not, there aren't like going to be landmarks or paved roads or particular signs. So try not to drive there at night during a snowstorm, Jen, because you always get lost on the way to Hannah's house but it's oh,
2: there's so no cell service.
0: yeah oh yeah and there's no cell service so you're it's like driving back in time a little bit and and it's so beautiful but for uh, you know those of us who are used to self-service and gps all the time like it it's disorienting you're like whoa how do i d- wait i've you know, i remember doing this when i was a teenager before we all had cell phones but it's been a while i gotta like re-up my game of like how do i get around the world um but it's also just like insanely gorgeous i mean <laughs> woods and streams and mountains like i mean it's vermont it's beautiful yeah yeah so it sounds like maybe like deep down coming back from india like you either consciously or subconsciously knew that things needed you were going to change like you were going to change courses but you kind of like eased into it you had one foot in each world for a while even when you took the sabbatical you still had a foot in new york just in case but you were experimenting
1: yeah and i think what you say about there being like a subconscious element is is totally true and i don't think i don't think i really know like i think there was a part of me that was setting this up and my conscious mind did not know it or was not Mm -hmm. accepting that and and still sort of felt like i'm gonna take this leave of absence i'm gonna get myself healthy and then we'll see if i jump back in if i jump back into the same company if i go somewhere else and and I did try to keep doing design stuff for quite a while. Like the part of me that was fighting the, the like doing something different and staying in Vermont, um, you know, continued to pursue. I did a lot of freelance work for, I don't know, like three years. And well, I did freelance work for a couple of years. And then I took another full-time job that was in New York that I kind of worked remotely slash traveled to once in a while. So that was also like I was miserable there also. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It took me several, it took me like three, three instances of being utterly miserable in design industry jobs to just be like, okay, listen to this.
2: Like, Yeah.
0: (laughs) I think that's totally normal, but what do you think was holding you back from just like, nope, we're done with that. That's not for me. I'm going to do this other thing. Like why keep going back and trying what was in your brain?
1: I mean, I think it was just the, the moment, like the career momentum and like indoctrination that once you go to grad school and you're in this, and I mean, and this is like what everyone around me in the design world was doing was like, like, advancing in their career. And I just like, I don't know, I was I was in that. And even though I wasn't in it for very long, I think it just I wasn't seeing the alternatives. Even though I had like, even though I was in the house already in Vermont, I wasn't really willing to like, relax into it and consider it as a viable place to build a life away from this crazy industry that was making me nuts
0: which begs the question like what was the thing that finally freed you from you know that preconceived image of yourself like all the shooting and Mm -hmm. you know feelings that you have about you know what your peers were doing what you should be doing what was the thing that finally cut that cord
1: um i started doing the fiber art stuff so simultaneously with having this job at cognizant which i hated um i i i wasn't i was working remotely and i was starting to play with the the fiber art work that that now i've been doing for six or seven years um and I just like, it wasn't like a moment. It was like a fading out mm. and uh, like finally getting fired. Cause I just didn't, I was just not doing the work. Like I was really just like not doing
0: the work. <laughs> so you kind of like quit. forced someone to tell you like, you're done. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Like I'm done. <laughs> yeah.
1: Totally. I, get that. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's not flattering at all. But, um, yeah, I was just, I, I I should, I should have quit and I, and I probably would have, if I hadn't have been fired, like I probably would have right around the same time, but yeah. So it was, it was inevitable. I feel like it was inevitable and I was, I was simultaneously building this new, this new little art practice and, and Yeah. i guess i mean i was scared i was totally scared about finances and and not like yeah kind of losing the chance to be a professional in the design industry like i i knew that there were consequences there so i it was hard
0: yeah i i want to definitely talk about like the financial security aspect, but later on, because what I want to talk about first is what does your life look now? Like, would you walk us through a day in the life of Hannah? And it's been seven years since you fully took your last foot out of corporate rat race and stand firmly Make in Vermont? About that. Okay. Yeah. So what's a day in the life of Hannah like seven years after?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, well, there's a couple of things that happen every day. So like, I wake up really early, and I go for a walk with my dog. <laughs> and we walk on the dirt road or up in the woods. And depending on the season, we might be foraging for something. And, uh, and then later in the day, I also I take another walk. So those are like the walking is probably the thing that happens every day. And then
2: mm-hmm.
1: And besides from that, like every day is really different because um, I am doing, I am doing lots of different things. So Mondays, I'm, I'm the elected town clerk and treasurer and delinquent tax collector in my little town. So <laughs> Yay!
2: <laughs> That's awesome.
1: <laughs> which is a job, which is actually a paid job, not a very well-paid job, but something. So on Mondays, I go and staff the town office and, you know, sell trash bags to my neighbors and, like, give access to the land records and stuff like that.
0: And, Wait, um hold up, hold up, hold up. You have to back up to sell trash bags to my neighbors. And because I, it, you had to explain this to me, like, three times last time I saw you. I was like, you do what? <laughs> tell everybody what that means.
1: Um, well, there's a law in Vermont that says residents have to pay um to have their trash disposed of. So so the way our town does it is that you have to actually buy trash bags. They're $3.50 a piece. So then they're sold at the town office and so and, and so people buy the trash bags and then the town actually pays for the the company to come like pick up the trash, the trucking company to come and pick up the bags on the side of the road.
0: So do you have to call your office to say i have i bought my bag and i used it and i need you to stop by and get it
1: no the trash truck comes every monday or every other monday every other monday, actually. Every other monday.
0: yeah yep. um i'm assuming you guys don't have much trash
1: no not a lot i mean that's a whole other long story i could tell you about the uh the budget discussions in our town right now, and how trash service is always on the chopping block because we spend like $38,000 a year for trash pickup, and there's not a lot of trash getting picked up.
0: <laughs> Fascinating. My neighborhood has pickup every week, and every house in my neighborhood has at least two trash cans and a recycling bin outside full. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, we'll come back to that. Okay, so day in the life of Hannah, you do you have at least two walks a day through the woods, through the beautiful woods with with Nadia, your adorable puppy, and then you're do you're working on some projects. You go Mondays, you go to the office. Mondays, I go to the
1: town office. Um, yeah. So and then the rest of the week, I kind of divide my time so I I have do fiber art work in my house and in my studio. So I, I spend time doing those processes and um, dyeing yarn and knitting and weaving. And then I also, I I created a land conservation nonprofit, so which I'm the chair of the board. And so depending on what we're working on, I devote some time during the week to, to that as well. So we have a couple active, projects right now, so I'm putting more time into that than um, than other times right now.
0: That's really interesting. So could you talk a little bit more about the what and whys of a land conservation project?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something I'm super passionate about, and um, I feel there's a great need for it, especially with... Um, more people moving to Vermont and they're not being um, really great, like land use regulations in the state. So there's, there's a lot of development that's happening where like large blocks of forest that are really great habitat for various animals and plants are getting chopped up into pretty large house lots and developed. And then, then you get instead of forests that animals can move through, and you you get like, roads and houses and utilities, and, and you're losing a lot of what what it makes Vermont special. So um, and there, there's, there's work being done at various levels to try to improve land use stuff and create denser denser residential areas and, and do more conservation of the wild areas. But um, like right now, it just really feels like, um, like local organizations like mine are kind of the front lines at trying to save um, big tracts of forest land. So, So yeah, so so basically what, what we do. And there's some other organizations in the region that are doing this as well as we we try to purchase land, wildland, and um, apply for grant money to do that. And then it's public access and, um, you know, and, and super important for biodiversity and for climate reasons, for carbon sequestration. So it's really like something I'm leaning into more and more these days and just feeling like, I mean, I, a lot of my work, my fiber art work is land based and my like, what I love is this land and the woods and everything that lives and grows there. So I just feel like it's, it's needed right now. It's a reciprocal act to, to try to protect that land as, as well as I can.
0: Yeah, I want I want to have you like because I was so blown away last time I saw you um, walking through the land that your group is working to preserve. But I think it's important for everybody to understand like why, how that how that sparked interest in you because of your fiber arts work. Could you talk a little bit about like how how does weaving and you know creating fiber art actually tie back to the land that you live on?
1: um yeah so I've been using natural materials to dye the yarn that I use so in some of so I'm and I'm mostly foraging those from the landscape and ch- like learning from the land how to ethically forage various plants and mushrooms so that they regenerate well um and learning from other people but so it's just been an amazing way for me to learn about this land around me and to learn what's in it. And with this eye towards what makes a dye. And there's so many, uh, I mean, I, I want to say plants, but it's more than plants. It's it's mushrooms, it's lichen, um, it's parts of trees that that make amazing colors. So So that's the tie in. And and then there's also plants that make fiber themselves. So there's not as much of that right around me, but it, it is another yeah access into fiber art of the land.
0: So when you say you're going on walks in the woods twice a day, you're not going on a walk like I go on a walk, which is like, okay, here's the beginning of the path. There's the end of the path. I'm gonna walk, I'm gonna try and be mindful, but I am completely bio-illiterate to what is around <laughs> me your walks are a little (laughs) different. (laughs) What is what is a walk like? Um,
1: yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's that different. But I've, I've learned a lot about the different species of beings that are in the woods. And so I tend to, I tend to notice and say hello, and sometimes collect different things. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I feel like it's a conversation, I guess, with everything around me.
0: That's so cool. Like, your work is like, literally in the woods, like running around playing in the woods, finding cool things that you can turn into cooler things, like taking care of things. And that's how you ended up preserving the land across the street from your house, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's just from walking on it and learning it and um yeah and just trying to yeah figure out what I know about the ownership and so that land across the street for me is we're hoping to turn into like an actual community forest that does have trails going through it and is like a, a nice little refuge for local people to you know take a walk after work and bring their dogs and Um, so I'm really looking forward to seeing that through it's still, it's still in process.
0: Yeah. But it's, (laughs) I mean, um, you know, Lee and I were both up there this last winter. Um, and I think like the, also guys, when you go for a walk with Hannah, we're not walking on a trail y'all. We're like, we're off-roading it she knows like all the like ways to get through the woods and the markers and the paths, And she's pointing things out to you as you go and you're like touching, you know, like in and ta- learning about it. And I think what really touched us, um, especially you really got Lee revved up about this. He was like, she sees the relationship between the land that we can have as caretakers and stewards. Um, and it's like actively doing something, to to be a steward to that land as well as use it and love it and talk to it. Um, I think Lee was ready to quit his job and, and join you because it just it sounds so fulfilling to actually live in a place where you're caring for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that you totally are making me tear up telling me that. <laughs> that's I mean that's my vision that's totally my vision it's so beautiful that Lee saw that
0: yeah I asked him to join today and he's like I can't I'll cry too much I can't do it (laughs) Oh. (laughs) oh yeah but he yeah he definitely wants to come up again and do that so um there's another aspect of your weaving that I think is really cute which is you have picked out one or two specific sheep that you get your wool from? What are their names?
1: Oh, there's a few more than that, actually. Yeah? But I do, yeah, oh gosh. So it's been a little while since I've bought fleeces, actually. So um, there are, so some of the names, there's like Otis and Hazel. I think Lilac is one of them. Yeah, oh. yeah, Daphne. I yeah,
0: and these are all town towny sheep, neighborhood sheep.
1: Yes, yeah, they're from a couple towns over. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I love I love knowing that like you have a relationship, literally with the animal that is providing the wool for the hats that I buy from you.
2: Yeah,
0: it's nice. Um, talk a little bit about like, okay, what about the social community aspect of living in such a rural area coming from big cities?
1: Well, I, I think my social and community like element is a, a lot more robust here hmm. than it was in any of the cities I lived in. I mean, I think here you really, you rely on your neighbors for a lot and, and also it would just be, it would be very isolating not to be engaged in community stuff. So yeah, I don't know. It's a different culture. I think, you know, in cities, everyone's going about their own thing and you have great interactions with people if you're going into an office or if you're going out to dinner, um, here i don't know it's fewer people but closer relationships i think
0: so what does a night out with friends in athens look like
1: (laughs) usually dinner at someone else's house yeah or a bonfire or a, a moonlit hike sometimes oh nice or yeah, or or drive into like Brattleboro to go to a restaurant or go to an art opening.
0: And how did you get to know your neighbors?
1: Oh, um, like meeting them walking on the road. I, I mean, I've met people over time. I've been here for over ten years now, total. So. Um, I've there are still people that I'm meeting actively in my town, but mm. the people who live, the people who live closest to me, I, I've really just met from like, walking on the road or needing to borrow a tool or asking one neighbor about something and then saying, Oh, go talk to this other neighbor about that. Mm. It's it, It's Yeah, I don't know. I am forgetting what things are like, not here. So it's hard for me
0: to compare it to
2: anything (laughs) else.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you, that's different. Like I do meet people from my neighborhood on walks. Um, But like, if you want to have like friends, they're probably, you know, people you met at work or went to college with. And for me, like they're slowly all, you know moving away from Austin. and your little circle gets smaller and smaller uh and they don't have that same i don't know i think some people in my neighborhood like especially the older people who have lived here for 50 years they they're tight like i see them sitting on porches together but it's um sitting on (laughs) porch. this is the funny thing i think about uh when i told you like we haven't seen an amazon truck since we got to vermont (laughs) you're like what are you talking about i'm like Amazon trucks are like everywhere. They're running up and down the streets all the time. Like it's the number one automobile you see. And you were like, why? And it's just yeah, a whole different shape. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, Amazon packages
1: come in the mail here.
0: In the mail. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's indicative of just how different it feels. Um from Austin to Athens
1: finish up on what you were asking about community like I'm really lucky that there are so it's not just like the neighbors who live right next to me but like the extended community like I it's through I do various volunteer gigs um around and I have been on other boards and so I've met like-minded people in the greater area of of this county and I mean that's that's really where I go for, you know, like my closest friends and collaborators and people I bounce ideas off of here are people that I've met through like volunteering for restorative justice or being on the board of a like a bike, um, nonprofit bike shop or hmm. um, like artists, you know, that I have lots. It's like a wonderful art community in Southern Vermont. So. Like lots of, lots of friends who are doing really similar things to me as far as like their lifestyle is based around making art, like being on the land in some way and doing some work for their community.
0: Okay. So that's kind of the same, like through work, you find like-minded, similar people that you build relationships with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So... Okay, you work at the town office. You're doing the weaving stuff. You're doing these land conservation and other councils um, with your community. That is, I'm betting a different financial picture than you had when you were in the design industry. How did you? What is that like?
1: <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I I made hardly any money, so that. Definitely a, a big transition.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You can, in your in the outline you sent me, you kept using the term financial stability, and I'm like, what is this thing, financial stability?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god! Okay, I have to I have to ask that question because in my family, it's been drilled <laughs> into my head since I was a child. Like no matter what, you need to save up a lot of money. So you don't end up having to live under the bridge. And then, you know, my family is very much like, they just sock a ton of money away. And they're always very stressed about it. And they may or may not ever use it. Um, So when I think about like, okay, doom scrolling on Trulia looking at houses, maybe one day I'll retire and quit my job. I'm like, how what happens if like, I need money to like, live in an assisted living home or like, what if I want to buy some nice lip gloss? Like it's always in my head as a big element of blocking me from, you know, letting go, uh, of my current career path. So I'm always awestruck by people that aren't hung up on that. So I just wanted to ask you like, yeah, how do you, what are your thoughts on that? Do you worry about it? Is that not a thing? Um
2: well
1: I do I worry about it a little bit, not a crazy amount. Um right now, like right now I'm a little bit stressed out because I probably need a new car soon and I cannot afford a new car. I mean, and I'm not Mm -hmm. even talking like a new new car, like Mm -hmm. clearly need to get a used car, but like that's gonna be a big stress on my finances. And and I'll manage it but it's a big expense. Like it's definitely something that I have to like scrimp in other areas to be able to, to manage. But Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I just, I I feel like I've come to this whole new place and I, I don't want to be in service to money in my life. Like I just feel like that's part of the problem. And I don't want to just work to make money. Like there's all this other stuff I need to do. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, I do get paid to work for my town. And I really like, I, I really like that. Like I'm basically paid by my neighbors to do the work, to keep the town operating. And that makes a lot of sense to me. But it did take years. It did take years to get it out of my system that I was going to be okay not making the kind of salary that I used to make. And I mean, and then I also had some savings that I've used up. So, I mean, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know, five years into just, you know, not having those savings and make like, selling some, selling some artwork, selling or doing some work for the town. And like, I still do have my retirement savings from when I was doing design work. So, I mean, that's just sitting there. So I, I have, I, I have that. It's, you know, it's not a whole career's worth of retirement savings, but it's something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: but I don't know, like, I just feel like it's more important for me to like, do what I feel like I need to do now and to do what, like, be in line with my values and in in the place that I love. So, you
0: know, we'll see. I have to ask then, like, this, this I think, is such a big, crucial part of our culture, at least in the United States. Um, and how capitalism is set up, how humans are kind of turned into robots to keep driving that forward. Yeah. How do you, how do you, what are your thoughts on that? Like, what are you realizing that like, you need, you don't need all of that. And you look out at, you know, the rest of us who are still running the race. What are your thoughts and observations on that?
1: Well, I definitely don't judge anyone who is working and making money. I mean, I know I I just yeah, I don't I don't want to make it seem like I you know, I'm better than that or or that I've seen through something. I mean, it it's a decision I've made and mm-hmm. um like I do personally have a lot of anger at these systems in our world, like including the ones that turn humans into robots to keep like perpetuate global capitalism. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I think that's something I am, I'm always grappling with. I mean, I was like bawling yesterday to my therapist about it. Like it's, it's very present and real to me that, that our world doesn't value humans just for being humans that it, it seems to value us for our money making potential like we're workers and consumers we're not just like beautiful radiant human beings and,
2: Whew, yeah. and it's just an
1: eternal in eternal frustration and and at the same time like I get it. I get people wanting to have a level of comfort and a nice car and a retirement savings. Like, I get it. Part of me wishes, like, I that I wasn't so idealistic and I was satisfied with that. But that's not just, that's just not me. And that's not what my, you know, I wasn't happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's such a hard unwiring to do at first to see it like I really didn't see it I wholesale bought into the system. Um, It was like, I'm gonna all the things you you were talking about, like I'm it's this is for personal gain, I'm going to win, I can be the best at this, I can work harder than anybody else. Um, And then when I realized I couldn't anymore that and thought about it a lot and started reading about it, I started real then I started feeling anger about it. And I was like, wait a minute. I never questioned this. Why didn't I question this? Like what what am I actually doing this for? Who is this actually benefiting?
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I I I feel like so much so many people are like tiptoeing towards that <laughs> literally like edge of the crevasse. Because once you get there, you're like, uh oh, I'm going to change my mind about this. There's just a whole cascade of things that might have to change. uh, Yeah, coming after it.
1: Yeah, and I don't I don't know if more people make similar decisions if there might. I don't know, like, I just I have a vision of sorts that really amazing things can happen if people somehow gently decide they want a different life for themselves and their loved ones and like yeah find more humane ways to engage with community and do meaningful work and i don't know like i just i have this vision of just kind of like walking gleefully away from like (laughs) falling down banks and
0: (laughs) okay so not a crevasse guys did you hear that hannah's like it's not a crevasse it's a chance to like fly off into the sky i think we're gonna i think we're
1: gonna go dancing off into the woods personally and (laughs) into like a life of more connection and understanding and joy and yeah I think it's available. And I think it's also really, really hard. And yeah, and it's everybody's personal journey.
0: Was there anything about this change in your life that you didn't expect that has surprised you?
1: I mean, I think it it doesn't surprise me, but I just, I think I want to point out that it's not like one decision. It's not like I, I was doing this career thing in cities. And now I'm here where I am, like things are continuing to be in flux with my life. And like, what I decide to put energy into, like, I've been not doing as much of the fiber art, at least not the functional stuff lately. And like, I'm still kind of shifting around and following what feels right or what is the bigger curiosity in the moment so and i imagine more of that will happen like i don't ever consider it static like this is this is this is this thing now
0: yeah yeah what do you dream of for your future now hmm
1: um I mean, also a really hard one because I don't have specific goals or dreams. I don't think, I mean, I would love to be successful with some of this conservation work. I would love to be able to continue making art in some context. Like I've been shifting more into non-functional, like fine art works with the fiber art and, um, like that's just a new thing. I'm curious to see where it goes, and like I've never had a show in a gallery before. And like maybe this year will be that year, and I'll see how that's received.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, I'm. I don't. It's funny. I mean, I'm really happy just kind of being like day by day, year by
0: year at this moment. And so, <laughs> but yeah. But at the same time, you you were like, I don't feel like this is the end all be all. I think right. you're more, you are very fluid. Like you, yeah. from day to day, it could change.
1: Well, listen, I mean, life is like that. I think you never know what's gonna happen at all. And especially now, I mean, mm-hmm. I just, I feel like we don't know, like if the economy is gonna collapse, if there's gonna be another pandemic, if there's gonna be a war, So I'm I'm super satisfied with where I am and, and what's around me. And yeah, I don't know, like, I'm not lacking a big thing that I feel like is a dream I need to get to.
0: But if you felt the urge to move back to a city or move to another country, like you don't feel like, okay, now I own the schoolhouse and this is what I do.
2: Mm-mm.
1: No, I mean it would be a really big, it would be a really big decision to sell my house, especially because mm-hmm. I like probably could not get another loan to buy another one. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm betting there are a lot of people thinking about moving that would see your schoolhouse and give you a lot of money for it, Hannah. I think you're going to be yeah. in a good position. Maybe. Maybe we'll we'll
1: cross that. We'll cross that when I come to it. If I come to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But who knows? Who knows? It could be anything. You are also really good at adventuring. I really learned a lot from you about that when we were in India, just like your approach to explore. And especially like as a woman, um, especially like if you're on your own doing it, like I was just you are very resourceful and confident and you know how to take care of yourself and and find joy, like no matter where you are. That was, I was only with you for like in timeline a month, but in learning time, like that was a whole season for me. It was, I, I see you doing it again. Yeah.
1: You helped me plan the bicycle trip that I did in India. You were gonna join at some point, I thought. <laughs>
0: I know, I know, but you know, I had to get back to my job because that was the plan.
1: <laughs> right. Right. And can I say something about you real quick though cuz I love that you've had this theme like you wrote a whole book on like to be brave and and leaving your job and, and making a big change. And like you've had this theme in your life a long time. Also, oh, yeah. I I mean I I definitely grew- I definitely drew inspiration from learning that from you and that that you had written this book and you had made a project about this idea of making a big change in your life and Mm -hmm. I like I don't know like I am pretty fluid and I have had lots of changes and I and it's just it was interesting for me to frame it as like oh like that's a thing to like make a big leap in your life, like that, that other people don't maybe do as easily as I do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. It's, I think you've helped me understand perspectives a lot.
0: It's because you and I have opposite perspectives. Like I'm definitely, I'm so curious about it because it's so terrifying to me and maybe it's so natural to you when you see someone like me like treating you like a little lab rat like what's going on here how do i do this you're like i didn't know there were like scientists to study me
1: (laughs) i don't feel like a lab rat i love this conversation
0: (laughs) i'm glad i'm glad (laughs) hannah what would you say to anyone thinking about Walking away from the rat race and dreaming about a life kind of like you've set up. Do it. Definitely
2: <laughs> do it. I think. I think more people
1: should do it. Um. Yeah. I don't know. What else? What else is in that question for you?
0: Why should they do it? Oh, why would I ask it? Well, I think. I think there might be some people that maybe shouldn't do it. Uh, my, like Lee tells me all the, like, I'll be like, I I literally, like every week I send him links to like, here's a farm. Here's like 200 acres. Couldn't we have a bunch of bunnies? And he's like, you have never lived on a farm. You do not understand the reality of what you're asking for. This is not actually what you want. Um, so I think he's pointing out like there's there might be a little bit of a disconnect between like the dream and the reality of it. So that's why I ask. Sure.
1: Yeah, of course, I think. Right. I, I I don't go in. Maybe if you if you're not already from a place and and It, it would make sense to move slowly and it might make sense to like work remotely and do a slow transition and get a bunny or two before (laughs) you decide that you're going to have a barn full of bunnies. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many ways to do it. And I think there's so many ways of like being content in place also, and not it having to be a move to the country. Like, I don't know, like I, like this dream of moving to the country. It's more than like a physical move. It's like, it's that you want more space and freedom and beauty in your life. So there might be ways to get some of those things without moving and buying a farm also that could be really beneficial for yourself and like giving less of your energy to all of these greedy systems. I mean one of the benefits of like living out in in Vermont and other rural areas is that it costs a lot less so it's easier to like it's easier to not have to make as much money cuz you're not trying to afford a house in a city so there is that benefit
0: but yeah I had not thought of it that way. I mean, I don't know why, but that makes perfect sense. Like this urge to move to the country is just a metaphor and you don't have to physically necessarily uproot yourself just to, to have that that space that you're searching for, whatever that metaphor means to you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the land and the actual landscape around you it means a lot, but I think also, yeah, that there's, there's other, there's ways of getting some of that medicine without having to make a big move.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> okay. You've given me a lot to think about in the meantime, taking up an hour of your busy, <laughs> beautiful life. Um, but before we close out anything, you would recommend to people to learn from um whether it's books or podcasts or tools whether um, and it, whether it's learning like i don't know just things that impacted you and how you think
1: um oh gosh yeah i should have actually made a list about some of these things <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what we can do you can send me a list later guys it'll be okay. all in the show notes hannah's tools trips tips, tricks and resources um, to free your mind and mentally move to the country. I'm really excited for those.
1: I think one thing I think one thing though, that's like real specific, like and in this time of people being freer from location with from their jobs, you know, like, there's a lot of people who have moved to Vermont during COVID because they don't have to be in an office anymore, and are working remotely, and are really not connected to the place. In in a in a way that like it's just the background to their like home office, and oh, I think it's their it zoom is, background, yeah, right. Like I think it's really beneficial to try to like arrive in the actual place and learn the history and the stories and the people of the place, and not just be this like. It's, it's like you're a half a person, right? You're like, you're physically here in Vermont, but you're not really like trying to make it part of you. So I just think like doing research about a place and like making an effort to like do community things or, you know, learn a little bit about like why, why things are how they are. If you're going to end up in a new place, especially a rural place, I, I kind of see that there may be more of that happening and there, there'll there be ways that it works well and ways that it doesn't work well, depending on how you
2: approach it.
0: That's, boy, that's such good advice. We could do a whole episode just on that. Maybe we will. <laughs> helpful do you think oh my god yeah i'm i'm really excited to actually listen back to this it's kind of hard when you're um you know doing an interview to in the moment like have your own realizations and deep thinking about the questions but i feel like with you i got to do that a little bit today and um i think i'm going to do a lot more of it when i i'm putting this together and listening back to it because so much, so many of the points you made are actually much more intrinsic and bigger picture thinking than they sound in a soundbite, right? Like, like what you just said, like learning about the place where you're living and connecting with it. Um, I can say a lot about that and how many people are working on doing that and learning like about the land and about the history and about their neighbors and trying to like find community so desperately like this is this little wrap up at the end here i just think is you're just tapping into like some really golden truths that we could talk about forever hopefully we will yeah,
1: yeah let's have another conversation not necessarily on a podcast but yeah
0: <laughs> in the woods babe in the woods
1: exactly
2: exactly <laughs>
0: Okay, Hannah. Well, I know so many people are going to love hearing this story. Um, Guys, I'll post all the links for Hannah's recommendations as well as where you can see her fiber arts work. And maybe she'll even share some pictures of the schoolhouse with us. Um, Hannah, thank you so much for being here and for everyone listening. Eat when you get hungry. Sleep when you get tired. We will see you next time. Bye, guys.